you have your Bible, turn to Romans, the 13th chapter, and verse 14. I'm going to read two verses for our text, and then I'm going to preach to you a little bit. <clears throat> we'll uh, prepare for a Christmas uh, message this coming Sunday. We'll see what happens Wednesday as well, Lord willing. All right, Romans 13 and 14, I want you to listen carefully to these verses. They're powerful. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Let me read it again. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And then in uh, Galatians 5 and 16, Paul, the same writer, says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Do either of these verses sound like we can't do what the divine writer is saying we can do? In both our verses, and many throughout the Bible, hundreds of them, the Lord makes wonderful statements. He says to the man who got healed, after having a uh, disease for 38 years, he didn't only heal his body, but he healed his soul. And he said to him, now go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. Now, did the Lord say that because it's not possible? No, he said it because it is possible. And Paul comes along and he says, make no provision for the flesh to follow the lust of the flesh and to let the flesh have its way in your life. Walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Both those verses are positive. They're letting you, they're letting me, they're letting the whole world know that by the grace of God, we can overcome the flesh, we can overcome the world, we can overcome sin, and we can overcome all of our enemies in this world. So that's what I want to talk to you about. I think everybody understands now and has learned, at least a lot of people have, that the urgency, the urgency for godly living is desperately wanting in this culture today. We are not seeing more people live right. We're seeing more people live wrong. We're not seeing more people live holy. We're seeing more people live unholy. We're not seeing all kinds of peace and happiness we're seeing wickedness 
running over in our streets. And if there was ever a time we needed to get a hold of God's word and understand that he has a salvation that works. And he has a lifestyle that works and can overcome this world. In both our texts, Paul mentions the word flesh and says, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And in the second verse, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What does Paul mean by the word flesh? It's obvious. He's not implying by the word flesh that someone committed sin here. What he is saying, that walking in the Spirit will help us overcome all the provisions of the flesh, all the opportunities for the flesh to lead us into sin. It's obvious what Paul is saying to us. And he's giving us, and there's hundreds, but he's giving us here two remedies to prevent sin. This word flesh in the Greek is spelled S-A-R-X, sarx. And it's used 91 times in the New Testament. When Paul uses the term flesh in our text, he's implying in a figurative way the moral proclivities, the urgencies, the tendencies of our flesh to sin. He's talking about a predisposition in our flesh that has a hankering for sin. Okay, that's the flesh. 37 times the flesh is referred to as our physical body. 25 times it's used as humanity or that which is human. 27 times, as it's being used in our text, is used in a figurative way, meaning a hereditary sin bias has taken hold of us since the fall, or a bent in our moral nature. By the flesh, Paul means, in our text, our physical, inborn, selfish urges urges and desires. He's talking about something in our flesh that's animal-like. All you got to do is see what's going on in the news in most of our large cities, and you think to yourself, humanity, they're acting like animals. That power and potential is in Every single one of us, when we come into the world, it's part of the package. I want us to understand how we can pull this off, walking in the Spirit. And how can we make no provision for the flesh? If we walk in the Spirit. Now this may cross up some of your theology, but that's okay. We're all learning every day. 
By the flesh, Paul means this animal-like instinct. We inherited these urges from our human predecessors along with... Now, don't think that everything that we inherited is wrong. We inherited wonderful things, good things. I inherited from my mother my good looks. But the point is, we inherit good things and bad things. And that's part of the journey. That's part of the package. That's part of what we're going to have to deal with because of perhaps the failures of our grandfathers or our grand uh, ancestors or whatever. And so we have to live with it. We have to live what's been passed down to us. However, innate perversities should not be considered, and we've made a lot of mistakes in the past, should not be considered as something hardcore like the strength of a malignancy working in our body or like a tumor that's malignant working in our body and something that has to be removed. By the flesh, Paul means a corruption in our nature, which is more correctly called something that has been passed down to us. It's an inhering condition. It's a co-extensiveness that works with our minds. And thank God... That condition, that humanness, that nature that we inherited through the fall can all be dealt with by the inward supernatural therapy and power of the Holy Spirit. Thank God, God didn't leave us to have to go through life and try to conquer the greatest enemy in our, in our lives. And it's not the devil, it's not the world, it's not this, it's not that. It's what's inside of you and what's inside of me. And if you don't know how to deal with it, you're in a whole world of trouble. And yet the Bible plainly gives us the secret to know how to deal with enemy number one. So Paul says in Romans 13, 14, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision, make no opportunities for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. The positive part is put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The negative part is make no provision for the flesh. You see what's going on there? It's dual cooperation with God. God has his part. He has the power to stop the sins from flowing freely in our life. He has the power to cast out the demons. He has the power to deliver us from all sin. But on the other hand, you and I cooperate with that power by obeying and following the leading of the Holy Spirit. So you're going to work at it just as hard as God had to work at it to make us right. 
What does it mean to put on the Lord Jesus? First, it means to be saved, to get saved. If you look at Galatians 3.27, I'll read it to you. For as many of us, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, you have been put on, you have put on Christ. So when we were baptized in the Spirit, when we were baptized in water, it was a, a public demonstration to the world that we put on Christ. We got saved. Actually, every day, like Sherm just mentioned, we have to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day, we ought to when we wake up. We ought to ask for God's guidance. We ought to ask for God's strength. We ought to ask God to help us carry our burdens. Help us to live uh, pleasing in his sight. Amen. We ask God to help us overcome our enemies and to lift our heavy burdens and to keep us safe and so on and so forth. If you're a student <coughs> in high school, college, or taking an interview for a job, What's the first thing you just ask your mother to do? What's the first thing you do if you're, if you're a saved person? You start asking God. And I've had several people come up to me who were trying to get their nursing degree and then were going through their finals. And they said to me, Brother Tony, please remember, we're going through our uh, finals. We've studied hard. We've done the best we can to prepare. But we need God's help. I need God's help to pass this test. Amen. I couldn't pass French, but I need I needed help. And so my twin brother took the test for me and I got to be. <laughs> Honest to God's truth. You got to know how to maneuver in this world. But anyway, this reminded me of a story that took place at Spurgeon's College where the seminary students, what they had to do is some of them were given a piece of paper in front of the whole faculty, in front of Spurgeon, in front of all the teachers and the professors, and they didn't know what, what, what the subject was. And you know, I thought about doing that here on a Wednesday night, handing out pieces of papers with a subject, and you have to preach about it for 10 minutes. Mm hmm. One, one, one student said, he said, after going through that twice, I'm not even afraid of the tribulation. But anyway, what they had to do also is preach a prepared sermon in front of Spurgeon, the staff, the professors, and everybody, and the Philistines. And one seminary student who had to, and, and you know, we've been here. We understand what's going to happen. I want to make a point here. One seminary student who had to preach twice was, uh, had to preach twice 
he, 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 what he did, he said uh, he was so confident. And what he really wanted to do was to show off in front of everybody. And so he took for a subject the Christian in complete armor. And he preached from Ephesians 6, which you know, put on the full armor of God. And he very dramatically and demonstratively explained putting on each piece piece of armor and how the helmet was put on and how he put the breastplate on and he took the shield of faith and he took the sword of the Spirit and he went through all of that and he was dramatic. And he was working hard to impress his audience. And when he came to the end of his sermon, this is what he said. And now we have put on the whole armor of God, and now where's the devil? And Spurgeon was sitting there, and he looked at a colleague, and he put his hand up to his mouth, and he whispered, he's in your armor. We've been there. We know what it is to try to preach, try to sing, try to witness, try to do this, try to do that for the Lord. We know what it is to try to pull it off in the flesh. And we know what it is to be humiliated. And we know what it is to be embarrassed. I've seen it. In all my years of being a Christian, first I've seen it in my own life, but I've seen it in so many others' lives. That's why we have to walk in the Spirit. The flesh is not something that any of us can fight and win before we get out of the flesh, before before we get saved. We can fight the flesh all we want to, get mad at it all we want to. But without God's indwelling of the Holy Spirit, none of us will ever win that battle. Don't fight it, your flesh. Don't feed it. Don't give it opportunities to have its way. Don't allow it and don't feed it what what its appetites want. In other words, to everyone, young and old alike and in between, we've got to guard our entertainments. We've got to guard our company. 
We've got to guard our time. We've got to guard our tongues. We've got to guard our minds, what we think. We've got to guard our heart, for it can be deceitful and desperately wicked. The flesh is no match for people who do not know the Lord. Look at the people in this world who are supposed to be and are accredited to being the smartest people in the world. CEOs who own the, the, the head of the giant techs in this world, who are head of the corporations, who are running the country. Look at them everywhere. But without God, they're acting dumb. They're making the most foolish decisions. They're turning everything upside down. They're going the wrong direction. And they're bringing millions of people with them. When the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, you know about the dramatic deliverance. They were obsessed when they got into the wilderness with an Egyptian mentality. Oh, they left Egypt, but Egypt never left their hearts. And one day while Moses was praying and praying and praying, the Lord said unto him in Exodus 14, Moses, wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Stop your praying, 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 and start putting some feet under your actions. That's what the Lord said to Moses. Stop all this crying to me. Stand up, get on your feet, and go forward. One psychologist makes a good point when we become obsessed with coddling and catering to our flesh. Let me tell you something. One of your worst enemies is a mirror. Because you look in the mirror and you see your blemishes and you see you're losing your hair and you see a few wrinkles and you see you're not as pretty or as handsome as you think you are. Mirror, mirror on the wall. The mirror tells us the truth. Here's another mirror that can look into your very soul and come down between your moral and every intention of your mind. Thank God for that. But this is what the psychologist said. He said, it is psychologically demonstrable. In other words, demonstrable how people display their appetites and their fleshly feelings and their identities. Always catering to the flesh. Always trying to make the flesh look better and coloring their hair and piercing their body and, and doing this. And they're going wild trying to make the flesh look good when the flesh is your worst enemy. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't try to look your best. 
It's alarming how our young generations just keep conforming and conforming. And the Bible says, conform not to this world, but be ye transformed. But when we conform to this world and we don't have Christ in our heart, that conforming turns into deforming. And through the world's medias, Day in and day out, hour and after one hour and another and one week after another week, all the advertisements. And when you start letting them get into you, you don't realize how terribly deceived loving yourself more than loving God and loving pleasures more than loving God. You don't realize what's happening to you. That's why Jesus said to the religious bureaucracy of his day, he said, if that light that's in you is darkness, and look at the darkness that's foaming out from all our high places, Ignorance, stupidity, just foaming out. And Jesus said, if that light that is in you, what you think you know, what you think is right, if it's darkness, how great is that darkness? That's where America is today. Professing themselves to be wise, they've become fools. They don't know the right from the left. They don't know the difference between male and female. They don't know what's right, what's wrong. They don't know light from darkness, good from evil. They lost their way. That's the flesh. In my lifetime, and I suspect in yours as well, I've never seen such unorderly appearances and carnal displays of humankind that are walking our streets openly and teaching our kids publicly and governing our cities politically. I've never seen such a display of carnal flesh. Now, I want you to just read just a little further In Galatians, the fifth chapter, we picked it up as our text. This I say to them, walk in the spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Listen carefully. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led by the spirit, I love this verse, but if you let the Holy Spirit of God lead you, You might as well throw the law away because you're not going to break it. You're going to walk in the spirit and you're never going to fulfill the lust of your flesh. So look what Paul says. But if ye be led in the spirit, ye are not under the law. Thank God we're under grace. And as long as we walk in the spirit, God's grace will be shed upon everybody. And then he goes on. Now the works of the flesh, that's what's manifest. Which are these? And then it's adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, envy, murder, everything in the book. 
the flesh will lead you into everything that's bad. And you know what Paul ended with in verse 21? And those people who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Shouldn't be any confusion about whether you're saved or you're unsaved. If your flesh is taking you for a ride, then you need to get down on your knees and pray God sends the Holy Spirit into your life. Now this may rock you a little, but hold on. One thing the Bible makes clear, both the flesh and the world are in rebellion against God. And our most difficult enemy, which I said, lives inside of you and me. The flesh, your flesh, my flesh, is not a demon. It's you and me. But if you choose to walk in that flesh, the Bible warns us that the works of the flesh are all sinful. And if you keep sinning and sinning, you're not going to get better. You're going to get worse and worse until you allow demons to come into your body. That's why you better have nothing to do with the person you look at every day in the mirror. The truth is, we were born in the flesh. And we were born that way with a bent, with a predisposition, with urges and desires that make us want the forbidden fruit. What do you think caused Eve and Adam to take the fall? It was the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And when we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, but our human nature, that urge, that something that Adam passed down, when we get saved, that doesn't leave our body. You always have your flesh, my flesh, to deal with. And God, knowing that, said to his disciples one day, it's expedient for you that I go away. And if I don't go back to heaven, then the comforter, that paraclete, that one that will come up alongside of you and hold you up, he will not come. And if he doesn't come, you won't have power to convict the world of sin and of holiness and of unrighteousness. 
Judgment. Judgment. The only time that human disposition, that urge to want something wrong, the only time it's going to leave your body is when you die. So he's on board the flesh for the whole journey. And if you don't walk closely with the Holy Spirit at any unguarded moment, he can get you. And nobody's more vulnerable today than our youth. And nobody's more targeted in the wrong way than our youth. So when we get saved, that bent, that nature does not move out. Subsequently to salvation, the flesh with all its predispositional urges to sin continues to ride along with all of us all the way to the grave. So if after you get saved and you are being tempted, remember, and don't let this discourage you, remember your temptations, your battle, your struggles are not a sign that you have not been saved. On the contrary, the only reason you are being tempted is because you have been made righteousness through Christ. Because when we were not saved, we all remember, we caved in and gave in to sin without restraint. But now that the Holy Spirit is within us, we can resist those innate desires and temptations of the flesh. Hallelujah. So we need to understand that getting saved only starts the fight between our human flesh and the Holy Spirit of God. That's why people say, you know, I I had more peace. I was getting along better before I got saved. Now since I got saved, I got all these struggles. I got all this power struggle going on. Thank God. And the reason you got the power struggle going on is because the flesh didn't leave your body when the Spirit came in. And the reason the Spirit came in was to crush the flesh and allow you to walk in the Spirit. And don't be deceived, because this derailed our entire fellowship twice and divided God's people terribly. Most religions will tell you, you need that Adamic nature, and they call it the inbred sin. There ain't nothing in you that's sin when you're a baby. Where there's no law, sin is not imputed. You're not a sinner till you commit it. You're not a sinner because of what somebody did 6,000 whoever years ago. The thing that makes you a sinner is you sinned. Your sins and your iniquities have separated us from our God.
So that flesh of ours, there's no spiritual surgery or experience that can eradicate it. No, not at all. It's not true. As a matter of fact, just the opposite is true. You don't need anything taken out of you. That's why people went around, hey, did you get the spirit? Uh, Did you get saved? Did you get sanctified? Did, Did you put it all on the altar? And people say, no, I'm still fighting. I still got the temptation. Well, you need to get that taken out of you. No, you're going to have temptations the rest of your life, whether you're saved, sanctified, and holyized. You're going to have to deal with your flesh. It's not getting the lump taken out. It's getting the Holy Spirit put in. And for years we kept saying, you got to get it eradicated. You got to come to the altar. You got to get the second work, the third work, the fourth work. You got to get this. You got to. Drove everybody crazy. And some, because of the struggle, and some thought because they couldn't get rid, rid of their temptation, which nobody's going to get rid of. Not in a million years. Are you going to walk away from a triple layer chocolate cake? You need the power to come within you. And that power comes into you immediately when you get saved. It's not taking something bad out of your humanity. It's receiving something good from God to control your humanity. And by yielding to him, we receive the power from him to walk in the spirit. And our whole spirit, the Thessalonians said in Paul, Paul said in Thessalonians 5, whatever it is, the end of the verse, uh, he, he says, uh, walk in the spirit and your whole spirit and soul and body will be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it for you. Thus Paul rightly exhorts us, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The spirits, I'm closing, the spiritual warfare we engage in doesn't start the battle. The battle doesn't start in my life, in your life, until we gain the victory of salvation. You may go along a whole lifetime having pleasure in sin, thinking you're smart, thinking you're wise, thinking you outsmarted everybody. And, and you're robbing this one and stealing from this one and calling that one a, this and that. That's no battle. You're just a slave. You're being led around, led, led along and around by the devil. You're nothing but his puppet, his slave. 
The real battle doesn't start until Christ gets in you. So if you're struggling to stay saved, you're never more holy than when you're struggling to be saved and you say no to the devil, no to the world, no to your flesh. That's how you know you're saved. When temptation comes through the lust of the eyes and the ears and the pride of life. No one overcomes their flesh by fighting against it until they first put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So how can we walk in the spirit? Because on the cross, two things happen. Jesus atoned for our sins. He's the Lamb of God whose pure life sacrifice conquered the Lamb of God. Thank God for the Lamb of God who got the victory over all sin. Okay? And the other thing he did not only forgave our sins and cast them into the sea behind us, never to be remembered again, but he crucified the flesh's power, but not its presence in our lives. Because in Christ, we have been given the Holy Spirit's power to put off the works of the flesh. Now, although the Godhead are co-equal, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, the whole, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is not something you don't want to take lightly. That ought to be something that at times you'll be praying to, you'll be asking him for help. There ain't a time I hardly come into this pulpit. I don't say, Holy Spirit of God, help us. But the Holy Spirit of God, although they're co-equal, is the most significant part of the divine work going on here in the earth. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us gifts. It's the Holy Spirit who anoints us. It's the Holy Spirit who guides us. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us wisdom and understanding and discernment and power. And the keys that will determine how effectively we will be upon the world in convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment, three things you got to line up with if you're going to really be the light of the world. Number one, how well we follow the Holy Spirit's leadings. That's urgent and that's paramount. Number two, how well we remove the forbidden things from our lives that would hinder his power 
from working through us. Can God, the Holy Spirit, or Jesus come in and look in your closets and look in your drawers and look under your mattresses? Will he find things you shouldn't be reading? What will he find you doing in the middle of night when you can't sleep and you're looking for HBO? What will you do when you can't control that tongue of yours or that temper? This is the real Christmas message. And don't you ever forget it. It's not all that jingle bells. And it's not being preached like it ought to be preached. So how well we follow the Holy Spirit's leadings and how well we remove from our lives, our influences, our homes, whatever, the forbidden things in our lives that are hindering the Holy Spirit's power from working through us. And thirdly, never forget the presence of the Holy Spirit does not guarantee victory over the flesh, yielding to the Holy Spirit is what guarantees victory. And it's imperative that all Christians become laborers together with God. That's why one of the best verses in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 7.1. Let us, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting, maturing, getting greater at our holiness in the fear of God. If you live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Christianity is aware of warfare, so don't let your struggles between your flesh and the Holy Spirit discourage you. I close. The urgency of living godly is desperately wanting in our culture. Why? Because we're a lot closer to Jesus' return today than we were a hundred years ago. It's time. Look and look at what you see. Look at the direction America is going. Look at our youth. They're lost. It's time to wake up and start living right. For the most part, America is spiritually asleep. How do you know, Pastor? Because we're living in a time where most everyone is doing that which is right in their own eyes. And the wickedness of man is becoming great in the earth. And every imagination and the thoughts of their heart is evil continually. And the Bible says, in Noah's day, and God looked upon the earth in Noah's day, and it repented him that he even made man, and said, I'm going to destroy man. And he saw that the earth was filled with violence and wickedness. And the Lord said, 
I will destroy man whom I've created. But Noah, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God said to Noah, build an ark. It's time, America, to get into the New Testament ark of salvation. What's that all about? Jesus said, I will build my ark. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And in Genesis 8.20, after Noah built the ark and offered burnt offerings to God, the Lord said in his heart, the Lord said in his heart, can you believe it? I will not again curse the ground or any way destroy the earth. And listen to what he said. And while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest time, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall never cease. So much for the global warming. Will someone pass that on nicely to Congress? This earth is nothing but God's footstool. And he will kick it to the curb when he's ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? Does the Spirit of God wake you up every Sunday morning and say, it's time to go. It's time to pray. It's time to read the Bible. It's time for prayer meeting. It's time for service. It's time for you to get off the bench and use your gift. Our greatest danger in this Laodicean church age is getting spiritually drowsy, lukewarm, and falling asleep, unprepared to meet the Lord. Paul in Romans 13, 11 gives us two urgent warnings that fit our day concerning our Lord's return. Listen to what he said. And that knowing the time, people out here don't know what time it is. They think this old world's just going to go on living and living and living and playing and playing and playing and, and, and raising all kinds of Hades forever. But the saints of God, they know the time is near. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Listen to this. Why? For now is our salvation. What do you mean? I got saved 30 years ago. I got saved 50 years ago. What's the salvation? For now is our salvation. What, what, what? Look it up. For now, the consummation, the final ending of our salvation. When we go back to heaven, 
We are officially and totally and completely saved. And there won't be any temptation. There won't be anything like that. That's the salvation that's knocking on our door today. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. And it's nearer even if the Lord doesn't return 50, 60 years ago. Like Sherm said, we're knocking on death's door and there's but a step between us and death. When you get in your 70s, you can check out in a moment's time. And that knowing the time, it's high time. Warning number one, we have to live in readiness. The churches in America are living in moral drowsiness. I made a couple statements, maybe last week or the week before. It's already accepted. It's common that saints curse lie, get mad, get jealous, get envious. It's common for everybody out there that's saved to keep living in sin. Why not? Their preachers are telling them every Sunday, you sin, I sin, we all sin. Not true. That light that's in you is darkness. How great is that darkness? And warning number one, live in readiness. Warning number two is from Romans 13, 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness And let us put on the armor of light. Verse 14, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. We have got to live, church, like we've never lived before in readiness to meet the Lord. And we do that by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about these things that we preached. 